Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to Secure the Insecure, the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. Oh, what a week it has been. If you heard Imogen's interview last week, thank you. It was incredible. She was incredible. And I think for you listening, the comments I've had back is, it's amazing to see that someone does want to be on reality TV and actually what happens afterwards. I had another comment that was on the lines of, wow, you kind of love someone on TV and suddenly they disappear and you don't really know where they are. And that's a really interesting point that, just because they're not on TV in this moment, it doesn't mean they've just disappeared into thin air. They are doing things, but just a little bit differently. So make sure you go and buy Imogen's music out now. Now, to start this week, also, I want to give a massive shout out to Mo and Eric's Mac and Wings. I came across them on Instagram this week and I had their chicken wings. Insane. I just need to put it out on the podcast because it's the only time I can really speak. And I need to tell you about their chicken wings. I had the barbecue and I had the miso bar- uh, chicken wings. They were amazing alongside a mac and cheese pot and cookie dough, literally winning at life. It was the best night I've ever had. So please go and check them out. Mo and Eric's Mac and Wings on Instagram. Now, on to this week's guest. Uh, the mid-90s brought us the big battle between boy bands and girl bands. With Take That, Boys and Westlife taking centre stage in the female fandom arena. How did other boy bands get a looking? Well, in 1998, try and outdo them, enter a new band, A1, with songs such as Same Old Brandy Me and Caught in the Middle, which I still listen to every single week. I'm not even going to lie. I love them. A1 made their mark on the CBBC circuit, appearing on Live and Kicking, which is how I originally knew about them. And talking of marks, one of their main singers was Mark Reed. He joins me now as he releases his new song, Smile Again, out today. Hello, Mark. Hey, Johnny, it's really good to talk to you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, not too bad. And by the way, the name of the song is Same Old Brand New You, but I like what you did there. You kind of made it your own, Same Old Brand New You, Brand New Me. So Same I think you've actually Old kind Brand of New Me. No, it is. I'm, well, I'm going for me. I do me. Absolutely. I like you. Do you? Absolutely. Was I caught in the middle, or do you want to change that as well? Was it caught on one of the endings? <laughs> We've only just started, and we're already doing puns. This is great. You know, <laughs> song title puns. Don't worry, there's plenty of chance, chance for that. So, well, what, yeah, good to talk to you. Well, what I like about A1, it just as the title of the band, is that when I'm growing up, when you do grow up and you learn about a new phrase, so you hear A1, every time my dad spoke about, we're going on A1, I went, oh, we're going to their tour. <laughs> and I generally thought A1 meant that it was something to do with you guys. And then suddenly I found out it was a road. I love that. I really love that you said that. Thank so naive. You. I mean, you know, um, well, we, when we first started out, we were in the meeting. We were talking about coming up with band names, as you do. Uh, and we were all probably coming up with some shocking suggestions. Um, I know that I actually suggested Alphabet. I was like, let's be called Alphabet. And funnily enough, there was a band later, I think, that uh, came out called that. Yeah, um, 2007. But our manager pointed... 
Yeah, that's right. I think they were a Swedish band, weren't they? But, yeah, they did a song uh, like I know, Fascination. I know you know Fascination. Great song. I was just thinking, it could have all been different. They would have had to have been called something else. We would have thrown a spanner into the whole time continuum of pop. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going off, off on one now. But yeah, and our manager pointed to this big uh, W.H. Smith uh, pad, and he said, there you go. And we were expecting him to do this big grand reveal. Uh, actually, no, he was just pointing to the A1 on on the front pad. Uh, and, oh, okay, so A1 it is then. And uh, for us, it was very much supposed to, you know, be being about, about being the best you can be, bringing out the best in yourself. And I think right from the start, we, we always uh, portrayed a very, very, very positive, uplifting kind of, uh, you know, uh, that was our thing, you know, being the – because actually our manage, management also managed steps. Uh, this is Burn Blood, so they obviously had huge success with Steps. And I think they were just trying to continue a similar formula, but more in the boy band world. So kind of like a new take that, but a little bit more brighter, a bit more colourful. And, and yeah, and <laughs> they found us. Um, so a lot for, for a few of us, we had to kind of learn how to do it. I mean, I certainly wasn't a dancer. I come, back, I come from a musical background like a couple of the others in the band. So, yeah, we had to learn how to do it, but it all, it all turned out all right. Well, I was going to say, you didn't really do the Westlife stools routine, no. but you did your thing. So let's go back to the yeah. mid-90s. So pre-being yes, an A1, I want to talk about your parents, first of all, because they mm. were in a mm. band. So music for you has always been a part of your life. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, growing up, uh, I, I can remember going to my parents' gigs aged sort of six and seven, and watching them on stage, um, well, actually, I'd normally go and sit in the corner with my colouring books and then fall asleep, but because uh, their gigs would go pretty late, and they couldn't always get a babysitter, so sometimes we were taken along to watch the shows as well. And I just always wanted to get up on stage, and I think it was around about seven, I ended up going on stage, and I don't even remember learning the words, but I just... Um, I went, I want two, three, I want for the money, two for the show. And then before you know it, I was singing on stage and then that kind of one thing led to another and I was in the family business. I was joining the band from age 11, actually. I was actually working in pubs and clubs and, you know, the social clubs all over the, the country uh, doing that. So, yeah, music in the blood. And then you went on to those cruise ships where you carried on that with the family. That's right, yeah. Well, it's good to get that um, experience. Um, and I, was, I think I was very young. I'm not sure if I should uh, admit this, but I was 15 when I first started working on the cruise ships. But, of course, we said I was 18, yeah. And it started off being work experience. Uh, and then eventually <laughs> Classic I... Classic so Yes, it's work experience. I, I can remember at school everybody else was saying about how they did a couple of weeks in, you know, Sainsbury's, and, and I was doing a couple of weeks on a cruise ship um, playing piano. So... Um, yeah, it was all about really just gaining experience and learning your craft and, uh, in a way, the, the hard way because starting out, you know, uh, obviously played in a lot of pubs where everybody was, had had a few and, and I've had to carry on playing when people have knocked my microphone into my teeth, uh, uh, somebody's fallen back and knocked my keyboard over, so I've had to catch that while still playing and carrying on. And when you, when you go uh, down that route, you kind of get the best training you could possibly need to sort of prepare you for the, what was to come. I mean, I knew from a very young age what I wanted to do. And it's not like a lot of people now where they, they just, they, you know, they just want to be famous or they just want to be a celebrity. For me, it was, I want to be a, a singer. I want to be a musician. I want to be a pop star, I guess, you know. And um, so I think because I did that kind of hard graft, 
I was a little bit more prepared for it when it all eventually happened. Whereas, of course, you get a lot of people uh, on X Factor and Britain's Got Talent. Whereas, it's kind of like overnight success. So it's it's a massive thing to an, a massive change in your life, and and a lot of people struggle with that. But I think, fortunately, because of my upbringing, my parents who had also had experience in that industry, it kind of helped me to you know, keep my feet on the ground. But it's not easy. Um, it's still a huge adjustment when things start to happen and your life gets a bit crazy. But I, I do, I certainly do attribute, the, you know, my those years as to what helped me kind of have a little bit of longevity in my career. Well, it's interesting you say that because there's a twofold here. I want you to think about these two parts of this question. At that age, did you feel that you were ruining your childhood because you weren't, learning about girls, learning about friendships, mm -hmm. being in school, doing homework, doing the normal things that a normal person would do because you're being exposed to the adult world, adult life. And secondly, now looking back at it, do you see that as a better training ground? Because almost it, if you hadn't put that hard work in in the first place and built up those air miles, literally singing, playing piano, you wouldn't be where you are today. So you wouldn't have had the career successes, but at the same time, you missed out on just being a normal boy. No, you're absolutely right there. I mean, um, you're, you're tapping into something that uh, is deep inside of me because from, as I say, from about the age of 11, every weekend I was going out and gigging and performing with my parents in my parents' band. And then I'd eventually go and join other bands. So I, I think from a young age, I, I wasn't doing what normal teenagers were doing, uh, going out, you know, hanging out at the park and all that kind of stuff. So, so I just kind of lived um, for my music, lived for performance and that certainly played a part in who I am today, but that's also part of what's probably made me a little bit um, emotionally disconnected uh, from things like relationships and, and certain things like that. Don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm still a very, very sensitive person, but I, I kind of live for what I do. And I think I've prioritized that over everything else in my life for a very long time now. But as you say, um, it was also a huge, tremendous help because, um, you know, having done the pub circuit, having done the clubs and stuff, I learned that, you know, the sound isn't always good. You're going to go out there. You're not going to be able to hear yourself. It's going to be pretty, pretty bad. Uh, but you just have to, you know, work through that. Whereas a lot of bands that have just come from nowhere nowhere without that experience as soon as they can't hear the monitor it's like i can't hear i can't cope i can't go off stage you know just have to walk off stage and that's happened to a lot of bands but so i think dealing with it from you know working your way up from the ground up is the best way to kind of prepare yourself for anything and also prepare yourself for you know crowds that are a bit hard work as well because when when you played in um when you played in old people's homes where most people have fallen asleep and you've played in pubs where a lot of people are drunk yeah, when you actually eventually start to play to audiences that like you and love you, it's it's an amazing thing and it's it's uh, incredible. Well, it's that authenticity that you build up again. Yeah. Those work that word air miles again, where you see a yeah. bit of everything. So whereas now, if you, for example, do go on Love Island and you're a singer, mm. you prepare yourself, you come out, you do those PA club appearances, and mm. you are the one tomorrow you'll be forgotten about whereas because you've built up slowly you're creating yeah. a brand for yourself and this is all pre-social media that the brand mm -hmm. that you carry through is the most important because you wouldn't have been accepted into a1 hadn't you put in that hard work in the first place so that was great but yeah. what was it like for your relationship with your parents because it must have been 
oh my God, mum and dad, I just want to go to bed tonight. Or I've got so much homework, please just don't take me out again. Just let me do me. Yeah, I, they're, they're, they, they've always been incredibly supportive. Um, my lovely mum, I mean, she had opportunities to make it in the industry from a very young age. She was a brilliant uh, piano player, a, a drummer and singer, very similar to kind of like uh, Karen Carpenter uh, from The Carpenters. So she was she was uh, all set to have a career of her, her own, as was my dad with his band. He was in a rock and roll band called The Wild Angels. Um, but he always likes to say had a number one hit in Sweden. Um, <laughs> every chance he gets, which is true. And um, but they actually stopped their their kind of uh, opportunities and their careers ended when they had kids, when they had us. You know, uh, my my two older brothers, and then eventually um, uh, by a, 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 their favourite mistake, as they like to say, I came along. Um, but yeah, they. So I've always felt like when I first had my uh, opportunity to make it in the industry, I always felt like I was doing it for them because they sacrificed um, their opportunities in life so that their kids could, you know, have, have chances that they perhaps didn't. So they've always been incredibly supportive. And I've, I've you know, and, and, and I think they knew from such a young age what I wanted to do. So even though my mum supported me with my schoolwork and everything, she kind of knew where I was heading and just supported me all the way. So it was great. And what about school friends? Because as you're growing up and there's so much rivalry, there's popularity, but popularity mm. when it comes to looks or girls or f being on the football pitch, music, dance, piano, all that can kind of seem, number one, a little bit niche. And secondly, stereotypically, it's school, a little bit girly. Uh, I, I'm never worried about that. I mean, I've... I've I've never been particularly uh, like most guys, if I'm honest. I I, I was you said about football. I was hardly ever on the football pitch, and if I was, I was kind of like the one in goal or uh, in defence, just hanging around the goal. I was I, say, the best place to I talk do, to people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I do I do love uh, uh, keeping fit and training because obviously that's so important in terms of uh, staying motivated. Uh, you know, so I do. You know, I'm very physical in that respect, um, but. I uh, I didn't really think about what other people thought. I think that's 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 kind of if I was to give anybody any advice who was starting out, I I you can't really concern yourself too much with what other people think about what you're doing, because then you'd never get off the starting blocks. Because if you're constantly thinking about who am I pleasing, um, who's this for, then rather than just going, I'm going to do this myself because I feel like um, this is what's in my heart, this is what I really want to do, and uh, yeah, so that. I, at a young age, I didn't really concern myself with what everybody else thought, even though I was the guy that was always playing piano. It worked in my favour as well because, you know, I was able to serenade a lot of uh, girls and I loved that. They seemed to enjoy that. So, But in fact, you know, that was it. It never went anywhere else. I was I, I was a real late bloomer, you know, when it comes to things like that because I, I was so focused on music, performance. Um, that was the most important thing to me. So. Amazing, amazing. So let's go to 1998 when A1 was yeah. formed. So I know right. you've probably... I mean, how many... Firstly, how many times do you have you answered this question? How many times oh, yeah. do you reckon you've been asked? So when was it the first time you were in A1? Mm, well, a uh, couple of times, but never never worded like that. So thank you. That's a first there. Um, so I would say it was 97 when it first... Uh, when we were first formed, and there was actually uh, two other guys that were in the band... Um, that eventually it, it didn't work out, which is often the case with bands. So it ended up being myself, uh, Christian, Ben, and Paul. 
Uh, and we were kind of put together in a slightly different way. Um, our manager, as I said, the manager of Steps, he went around various different uh, music colleges and uh, venues where you see bands playing, and he wanted to find four guys that could actually play, sing, write. That was the uh, that was the criteria for A1. Um, so yeah, it was late '97. We started doing something called the uh, wow. What was it first? We did. I can't remember if it was... Yeah, there was something called the Birmingham Big Bash, which was like this little pop event that we started out on. And that then still happens once a week. Well, uh, one week a year, the Bit Birmingham's Big Bash. Does it really? That's incredible. I feel like we need to go back there for that because that was where we that was where we got our very first fan. And I remember we had two fans. It was uh, Laura and Nicola. Um, it's amazing how you remember your first fans because they were the first people that asked you for an autograph. And I remember that was incredible. Well, it actually wasn't the first time I was asked for an autograph. I remember me and Christian went to the, the, the cinema once whilst day one was just coming together and these kids come up to us and said, could I have your autograph? We were a bit surprised because we'd only just started out. So I signed it. And then the other one said, can we have H's as well? We're like, oh, they think we're Lee and H from Steps. Okay. So we just sort of signed it for them anyway. There you go. Did you put Lee and H <laughs> but, um, on there then? Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> that is fraud. Well, Kids know, do not copy people's people. names. You can't send people home unhappy, you know. Um, but I, I remember that. It was a fun moment. But yeah, so that was that was when it all started, 1997. Then we went on to do the Smash It's Poll winners. Uh, then there was the Smash It's Tour. Um, where they had the best newcomer slot, and we were on there with, uh, I don't know if you know this band called Westside. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No. Uh, who who would eventually come on go on to be Westlife because uh, they couldn't be called Westside. No, never band heard of them Westlife. either. Never heard. Of them. Okay, and a band, a little band called um, O Town. No, 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 not O Town. My Town. My Town. Uh, whose lead singer Danny would eventually uh, go on to form a band, The Script. So a little oh. bit of history for you there. So we were on we were on the road with those two bands. So that was quite a good fun start and um, brilliant times. There's nothing like it, you know, when you're going from uh, city to city and just playing to, you know, these uh, hungry, crazy uh, fans that just love their pop music and just scream. So they can't even hear the music anyway, but they just scream like crazy, and it was amazing. Our ears would be ringing at the end of every gig. Fantastic! What a way to start. So we were very fortunate that we started. And I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay to admit, obviously, it was because of uh, the success of Steps that we had the opportunity that we did. Because if Tim Byrne hadn't been going into the record labels with the success of Steps behind them, perhaps they probably wouldn't have been as interested in hearing about, you know, A1. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And being on tour, 26, 27 mm. years old, 12 lads, you know, for three different groups, but 12 lads on average all together, that must have been, you know, boy power. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I was 19, Ben was 16, Paul was, Christian was 21, uh, Christian was 21, Paul was 23. So we were still very young adults, uh, Ben being the youngest. And you wouldn't believe some of the things they got us to do in the photo photo shoots. Actually, I'm sure you can imagine, um, at that young age. And uh, we were, at that, when it all started to happen, we were pretty much thrown in the deep end. And it was kind of like, right, let's go sink or swim and let's do this. But, But, you know, we loved it. We had a brilliant time. Uh, I would say we probably didn't get the opportunity to kind of really appreciate it at the time because it just all happens, you know. So, um, yeah, so we were young, young adults kind of growing up and making mistakes. Fortunately, our management were very, very careful about, you know, the mistakes that you made in the public eye. And as, as, as you mentioned earlier, there wasn't even social media around then. There was no, there was no Twitter, no Facebook or anything like that. Not even MySpace. 
Um, and uh, that's how old we are. And um, but the thing is, we we made our mistakes behind the scenes, and our managers were very very strict in the respect that we're like, you know, don't say you've got girlfriends. That that kind of, those kind of cliche things that you hear about bands, you know. So um, that all went on. But it, I, you know, I think it helped kind of protect um, our image, and you know, uh, at that time. But how exploited did you feel, especially with those photo shoots and the fact that all these girls were running around to get you, but, you know, there has to be a brand on that and that does include these topless shoots and you are young and, you know, body yeah. image obviously wasn't such an issue back then, but still in yourself, no. you're growing. You're absolutely right. It's such a different time because you just did these things and nobody was discussing things like that you know and um it's so much better now that we're you know people are having these conversations but back then you just did it i remember when we turned up to this venue um uh called sailors for a photo shoot and we'd all brought our swimming trunks because they said um you know could you wear we were told that we would be we would need to wear swimming trunks for the shoot and then when we got there they said no 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 it's the naked issue no swimming trunks like oh well, we've got about five seconds to agree to that. <laughs> and our, our manager's looking at us going, you know, you really should do this because this, this is a good um, center spread in uh, Aptitude magazine, so you really should do it. And we're like, oh, okay, no time to kind of really think about it and go over it. So we were just like, right, kit off, in the water, um, and away we went. And, um, yeah, less said about that, the better. Well, I, I know you want to say less about that, but... <laughs> to be four guys, four straight guys who mm. are all between 16 to 20 years old, who are all self-conscious, how quickly yeah. and easy was it to agree to that and to strip off? Because not that you're comparing sizes, but you are comparing body types. Mm. And there is that thing of, well, hold on a minute. Now everyone is going to fancy Ben, for example, and mm. not me, because now they know what I really look like. <laughs> well, um, it's funny if I get, I'll give you a quick uh, breakdown of the different personalities. You've got Ben that is super confident, and he's like this young kid that's just like he's um, super cocky. I wouldn't say in a in an arrogant way, but he's very very uh, uh, cock short. That is really the wrong expression to use in this scenario. And then you've got Paul, who is just he's a little bit older and he doesn't care. He's like I don't care, whatever. And you've got Christian, and he's from uh, Norway, Scandinavia, so they get naked all the time. And he got me, and I'm a little bit shy. And I'm like, well, but I do, I do keep in shape, and I do train a lot. So I, I was, I was okay with that. And fortunately, we were underwater, so we were able to kind of, you know, hide out, out hide the, our parts, our family jewels. But it was still very, uh, very suggestive. And um, I don't think that set about any issues within the bands about, you know, how you feel, and and and, and I don't think it really affected um, our confidence in any way. But and also with regards to that, I think we always knew that they they were going to you know paint Ben as the, the the pretty boy, the poster boy, and that's not anything that was really uh, done by design. It's just how he looks, and that was his character, that was his personality. So, and I was just focused on the music, the songwriting, because uh, when you when you first start out in the business um, and you're a little bit naive, you think, well, you know, talent talent is what you need to make it in this business and being a good pianist and being a good singer and a good songwriter and then like no you need to be able to wink at the camera ah okay um so yeah it does change change things a little bit but yeah i, I actually think we dealt with all that kind of thing pretty well 
Did it make you ever question who you were and what your purpose was in the band? Because girls we've seen have a Spice Girls and Girls Aloud fell apart. But with boy mm. bands, there's usually a big issue. So take that, it was Robbie versus the other four. Yeah. With yeah. Um, Westlife, it was Brian McFadden versus the other three. Right. Was there a moment that you ever questioned, well, hold on a minute, what is the role that I'm playing in A1? Or am I just there because I can hold a note and therefore I can make mm. the others look good and you know forget about me kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. It is very hard finding your place uh, I mean, which is why we really, I mean, our management kind of did the hard work in the first place by picking um, four very different characters. And that, I think that comes across uh, if you have just four bland guys that are all the same, it's very difficult for people to kind of, you know, relate to them. So uh, as they've done with bands synth like Blue and obviously it's very important to have very individual personalities. Uh, so a different group of girls, different group of fans relate to that uh, member of the band. Um, but I, oh, sorry, my phone is buzzing away there. Excuse me. And I, I would, I would say I wasn't too affected by that. But we also had a very similar thing to to um, take that to other bands, where uh, where we fell out with Paul for many, many, many years, and Paul actually left the band for several years. Fortunately, he's back in the band now. But he he had to leave for his own personal reasons that he struggled to to cope with you know, um, living life in, in, in the spotlight. You know, it, it is very difficult for a lot of people to handle. Um, but yeah, I, I did struggle with finding my role, but the way I dealt with it was to just focus on what I do. And I really believe that when you really kind of focus on yourself rather than uh, see other people as competition, I think it's very important to not see other people as competition. At the end of the day, I know it's a cliche, but you know, People might make you feel like there's competition in life, and, and that's hard to avoid because it's everywhere you look. But I think at the end of the day, and as I say, cliche, but the only competition is the person looking back at you in the mirror, and you have to always just strive to be you know, a better person than you were the day before. And that's, that's how I've always lived my life. So. And do you think you became a better person than you were before? Do you have any regrets about your time in A1, anything that you would have done differently? so strange because I, I, I always wanted to be in a band and I, and my favourite bands are band bands, not like pop bands. I, you know, obviously love pop bands, but I grew up listening to the, you know, Queen, uh, the, the Beatles and the classic bands and stuff like that. So my dream was to always be in a band like that. But when you, when you get into a pop band, you realise it's very little about that. It's about the magazine covers. It's about um, the, the pretty boy photo shoots and things like that. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I feel very, you know, fortunate that I've been able to be a part of that at a time where it was where it was huge. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't really until One Direction came along that there was a band that, that where that kind of thing came back. One Direction boy, bought boy bands back in a big way. Um, but at that time, there were so many great boy bands around, and I felt like we were lucky to be a part of that. Uh, yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 as I say, just very grateful for that experience. Well, uh, I, I don't know how to word it, uh, but I'll basically, <laughs> I'm going to say it, basically. Say after, whatever you like. After the band. I'm an open book. Well, A1 just kind of had two massive songs. Obviously, you're massive in South Asia, like the Nolans yeah. were, but 
it never really felt that you made your mark in the music landscape. Mm. Obviously, the big reunion came back yeah. in 2012, and you know, A1 very crucial to that. Heat Radio mm -hmm. in about 2013 were all over uh, both your songs actually, and that's kind of what mm. really made me think of A1 again. But I never really felt that A1 made an exceptional mark in the boy band era in that time what do you think about my horrible yeah. point no no it's not a horrible point uh you know i i i agree to some extent because i feel like we um we, we were very fortunate we went into the charts with our first single uh, at number six which was a song called be the first to believe again it was a bit like an anthem we had this slogan be the first to believe in a1 so we turned it into a song then we went to number five with Summertime of the Lives, and then we did, um, which is a video where we turned into dolphins. Hmm. Um, and then we went to number three. So we were consistently climbing up the charts. So actually, to our fan base, we, it was, we, were, we were getting bigger and bigger, and we could really see that you know, uh, we, were, we were getting there. We were certainly getting there. And then, of course, it took doing a cover version, Take On Me, to get to number one. Um, and then we followed that up with another uh, number one, Shame on Brown of You, and so actually we did end up having about 10, 11 top 10 hits, which is, it's, I mean, back in a time where actually having top 10 hits meant something. Uh, I mean, like our, our, uh, our number three record every time um, sold 80, 88,000 copies in one week, whereas nowadays that would probably get you the number one for quite a while. But different times, very, very different times. But I... I think it was probably the competitive landscape that kind of kept us from taking it to the next level. And I think one of the reasons for that may be is because our management protected us from the public. They didn't want to see us coming out of nightclubs drunk. They didn't want us to be seen, you know, um, misbehaving. So because of that, I feel like we didn't connect with the audience on that next level where they really feel like they know you i mean look at look at take that we all we've all grown up with them so when robbie went through those difficult times and when gary went through depression etc we felt like we we really knew them and um so i think what happened with a1 is it was just a case of it was a very busy time in the pop world and i think that I wouldn't say we got a little bit lost in the shuffle but i just feel like we didn't do anything that would kind of Make, make us stand out from the pack and I think part of the reason for that is is because they didn't get to see that you know what was going on behind closed doors so I dare say that if A1 was coming around now or like uh, out again we would I mean everybody can look back in hindsight but I think we would be a very different we would that wouldn't be an issue because we would be kind of connecting with people the way we do yeah, don't get me wrong, we, we have an incredible fan base, really loyal fan base that have, uh, fortunately are still behind us today. And we're still doing tours. We did sell-out shows in the UK last year. Uh, we're still doing Asian tours. So we we did have a great fan base, but I think what you're talking about is when a band becomes a household name, when a band like you know becomes a part of pop culture. And, and very few bands like you know are afforded that, and I think we're very fortunate for what we did achieve. Would I have liked it to have been bigger? Yeah, I sometimes look back and go, I really think we should have connected. But I think we were pushing ourselves as a, uh, a, a songwriter's band and a musician's band when actually I think our fans just wanted us to be a boy band. And I think that's where it kind of started to fall apart. I think that's a very, very good summary of what 
could have happened. And I think also mm. touching on diversity, again, you were another four male white boy band. And looking mm. back mm. now, and you put that in a line about obviously how many white boy bands there were. Blue obviously came yeah. in with Simon, who uh, yeah. isn't white. And I think that also could have you know, now completely changed it. And we've kind of lost the essence of boy bands. One Direction, Five Seconds of yeah. Summer kind of came in as these boy bands. Is there a purpose for boy bands now? Or was that a very much, and as I said at the top, a 90s thing for boy bands and girl bands? I will say, though, we, um, we actually were quite diverse because both Ben and Paul are Anglo-Indian. And not a lot of people realise that, but... Um, uh, you know, you wouldn't, you'd only really notice it when they've got a real tan. But yeah, um, Ben's grandmother is from India, and Paul's dad is as well. So they're quite. We were quite a mixed band, but obviously, I know what you're saying. On 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 the outside, in the presentation, it was just you know, here's another four white guys. So, um, and 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 that was something of its time. Um, yeah, I. You'll have to fire that question at me again because I just went off. I went off on a um, boy. But is there is there a need for boy bands? Oh, yeah. like One Direction. Is you there know, a why, need? why have yeah. they not? Why do they not exist anymore? Mm. But I I think as long as there's uh, people that like good pop music, I think there's always a place for boy bands. But I do think it, they need to be a little bit more representative. And I think that was great um, of Blue to kind of uh, make that. But as as did another level before before them, another level were around way before Blue. Uh, and they were doing, uh, you know, they were doing sort of like pop R&B and had some great hits. So I think we were on the tail end of something. That we were on the tail end of a wave of of a scene that was changing. And, and it was actually changing into something that I would really love to have been a part of, especially when you had like McFly and they were much more of a band. Um, so, yeah, I, I think things were changing. And I and I think that as long as bands evolve, and I, uh, I think there's always a place for boy bands. It's interesting what you mentioned about with, with Imogen uh, in, in your last show uh, about when, when you're not seen in the public eye, people just think you've disappeared. And that was very much the case with us as well. Um, because we've not been on, you know, TV or in the magazines. Honestly, I get people asking me all the time, is everyone still together? <laughs> Even though we're constantly gigging, we're constantly, you know, travelling with a band and stuff. So it's funny that just I just went back to that point. No, it's a very interesting point because I obviously mm. saw Ben Adams in Celebrity Big Brother in about 2009 yes. and he's done so many amazing shows in the theatre like Eugenius. Yeah. He did and I think he yeah. had a part in Greased the Musical about two years ago. So, I mean, I see him on the circuit. Uh, and at the, dance. Flash dance, I think. That's it, flash dance. I see flash him a lot dance, yeah. at the, you know, celeb uh, press preview nights and parties. So yeah. I still see him yeah. occasionally. Uh, but, you know, obviously Big Brother kind of propelled him again. Mm. And your mm. Paul was asked to do I'm a Celeb back in, I think, in 2004 for the first or second series. Did you ever get asked to do a reality show? You know, for me, I... I have, but often there are things that are like, well, that, that, I, I, that doesn't relate to me at all. And I mean, and I'm all for putting across your own personality and what you like. And the thing is, I'm a really positive person, and I'm very like, I want to put across, uh, uh, you know, self confidence and just believing in yourself. And I think a lot often those shows, a lot of those shows, would rather have somebody that's a bit of car crash TV because. And I'm not saying that Ben is, but Ben was put in there to be the eye candy and also potentially stir up some 
you know, uh, controversy with some of the girls in there who, I don't know, probably were some of his ex-girlfriends and things like that. That's, that's generally how they book Big Brother. They book it based on who, who can we put in the house together that's going to cause some stir up some trouble. But I've never, I've never, that's never really been me. So for me to do a reality show, it has to be something where I feel like I can uh, present my personality and, and I, something I can really get my teeth into. If it was something physical, if it was something, you know, great. But I'm not going to just go in and sit on a couch and, you know, moan all day, moan. And I'm not going to go into a jungle and moan. And I just, it's not me. I, I think it's, uh, I can totally see the advantages of it and uh but i'm I'm not going to lose too much sleep about not doing it strictly on the other hand it's interesting we we before we we had our, started this chat we were talking about camilla uh camilla dallarup um that i would love to do because at least then you're doing something physical and you're learning something i mean strictly would be absolutely amazing okay man i will get onto the bookers now i will get you on strictly conversing <laughs> don't worry about that that's absolutely fine Cheers, buddy. um but you did because you're right you didn't disappear you have written for people like robin gibb and michael bolton but behind oh. the scenes obviously not in front of the scenes so how did you find that transition that you are writing for these massive names obviously for those who don't know the music industry you're making a lot more money and anyway because you've written the songs rather than just performing them but mm. you're not the front of the face anymore well, it, it's all about, uh, you know, what's important to you. And this being a celebrity and being, you know, seen at parties and openings and things like that is something that you feel is important to you. Then uh, that's the, the, what you will strive to, to, to do and be. And uh, for me, that's never really been that important to me. Um, I, I just want to start to do, you know, what I feel I'm best at. And I'm kind of best, well... I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable writing songs and performing and being on stage. But that's that's kind of the life I've lived. And, and it's just kind of transitioned into something slightly different now. Yes, I'm not on TV. Yes, I, uh, no, I'm not on TV, not in magazines so much anymore. Um, but it's kind of transitioned into where I'm still working just as much as I did all those years ago. But I, I think the recognition has changed. And the thing is, is I, I don't even know you know um i don't even know how important recognition is you know even i've had thousands and screaming fans you know throwing things at us and stuff and that's an amazing thing but you get to a point in life and it's like how important is that you know it's more important to be content in what you're doing and i don't know how much uh, fulfillment you get from that lifestyle so i you know on one hand um, it's a shame that we weren't, you know, more in the limelight and more household names. But on the other hand, I'm quite uh, grateful that we were protected from a lot of the, you know, the traps that happen to you in life. I mean, I've seen so many people and so many friends that have been, you know, uh, uh, some awful things written about them. And so I just feel like, yeah, well, we're quite fortunate that that never really happened to us. So I'm, 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 I'm content. Okay. Well, now you're content. Uh, one <laughs> could argue that you are smile-ing again as you release your new single Smile Again. I mean, I wish you put smiling again rather than smile again as your new single, but tell me about your new single, mate. Oh, sure. Um, well, a little early in the year, because obviously we've all been, you know, in isolation and lockdown. Um, one of the things that lockdown has done is is I, I've, I've never been so creative. I've, I've I kind of just become a bit of a robot, just working constantly. Um, and uh, that means a lot of new songs, which is great, as I know a lot of people have. So I released a song about the lockdown called Where Were You When the World Stopped? 
And uh, and then I thought a good follow-up to that would be a song that I wrote called Smile Again, which is, it's about, um, you know, just being in a really dark place and just coming out into the world again and just being able to breathe and be able to smile again. So it is a really uplifting, positive song. And I can remember when we were writing it, I wrote this with a, a couple of friends. We were actually writing about a specific person, a specific girl that was in a really bad place. And it was just like our little little uh, note to her. Um, you know, uh, when you see somebody come out the other side, um, what a great feeling that is. So the lyrics are very specific to that situation. And it's like, it's good to see you back again, coming from that place within, wondering if you'll ever get out. Yeah, but it took a while, but it's good to see you smile again. How did you find singing that rather than just writing it? So words on a paper coming alive, because that's a massive... Mm thought process and use of catharsism there that you're getting out what you want yeah. to say to that you might not be able to but when you put it to music and you hear, you know it's like Adele someone like you you could be mm-hmm. driving on a motorway screaming that at the top of your lungs so when you're singing smile again and it makes you think of her what's those emotions that occur for you um exactly as you said music is very very uh, cathartic and uh, therapeutic and and I've actually Often in life, I've never really been able to express myself, express my feelings. I, I'm, I'm very, as I said before, mostly disconnected, uh, and that, that has uh, impacted relationships. Fortunately, it hasn't uh, impacted friendships. I'm, I'm like, you know, um, very loyal to, to my friends and family. And, but in terms of expressing my emotions, I find that really, really, really hard um, because I come from a, you know, a generation where you don't, you know, you don't really talk about your feelings and you just get on with it and uh as i say uh certain uh, issues that you have uh, and uh, you know in the, that kind of hold you back in life were never kind of um diagnosed back when i was younger so you just kind of get on with it and i and i found myself being a certain way for so many years that i still cannot i still struggle with being open about my feelings and how i feel about so many things but when it comes to sitting at my piano and when it comes to actually performing on stage um, remarkably, that all comes out in floods, and it just it pours out of me, and I have no problem in articulating myself musically and on stage, but take me away from the piano, take me away from the stage, take the mic out of my hand, and yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like a robot. I, I, I just don't know how to articulate myself, but fortunately, it's so fortunate for me that I have music, and I have um, people that, that will listen to me sing, and I, I, I pretty much, I had a, a long-term relationship that broke up, and then I pretty much wrote a whole album's worth of songs about it. I was like, wow, why couldn't I ever say this when we were together? But how come I can say it all in a song, but I can't say it in person? I, I'm sure I'm not alone in that with, in terms of you know, other songwriters. Well, it goes back all the way around to bring this conversation full circle, that music is all you know. Yeah, it really is. You're absolutely right. And... But I, you know, there are worse things in life. There are worse, um, you know, and I, I'm so fortunate that every day I can get up and start playing the piano and I can, I can write songs. Um, it, it, there, there are worse addictions you could have than music. Uh, I, I, I'm certainly at a point in my life I'm, uh, where I'm thinking, is there more to life than this? Um, you know, they're, they're, I, I'd love to start a family. I'd love to settle down. I've, I've always struggled with that. I, 
that's something that's always eluded me. Uh, even the the other guys in the band have settled down, but that's something that I've I'm yeah I I I, I find it harder to to uh, to connect uh, to not to settle down. I I have no problems with connecting people, but it's just kind of. I've always prioritized what I do and I've always prioritized my work and my music over, you know, relationships, which is a shame. But when you have the highs that you have, when you're on stage performing to thousands of people, it's, it's very hard to get something that equals that outside of that. And I know lots of other people have dealt with it and I just have to kind of get over myself and, and, you know, uh, change my life to some extent. But I'm I'm so content when I'm singing. I'm so content when I'm writing songs. Um, that that's you know that's the journey I'm on at the moment. But I'm certainly getting to a point in life where I could do with a change. And you know, hopefully that's just around the corner. Well, look, mate. Everyone has got their own journey, and we don't make it. Yeah. God makes it, or someone in the universe makes yeah. it for yeah. us. And everyone has a purpose. And people who mm. at school are in and out of relationships, carrying on that through life, and they're always in a relationship and therefore they are never independent they don't know how to be alone there's those types mm. and there's people like yeah. you who from so early on were given this job in the world to create music and that is why you didn't have a childhood you didn't have an adulthood because your purpose was to make music and mm. do you know what to some extent that is what your purpose is for life i'm not saying you're never going to have a family yeah. but it could very well be you don't have a family because the impression you make to everyone with the music you deliver, the music you write for people, the music you sing yourself, that is more important and that is what your purpose on the world is, not having a family and depending on someone else. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I mean, uh, and whenever I receive a message online from how a lyric I've written um, has connected with them and resonated with them, that is such an amazing feeling. Uh, it's like, wow, I, I feel like I'm... And also, I feel like I'm speaking to so many people uh, in, with, with music. And you build up these incredible relationships with, with your fans and your, your, your followers and stuff that they, I don't know, it's very hard to kind of just, well, imagine if that wasn't there. And bear in mind that us in the band and, and uh, other bands like us, we, we've actually been living that life for 20 years. And I know that sort of says how old I am and stuff shows how old I am, but that's a very long time to be on that treadmill and a very long time to be on that, uh, you know, journey. So when it actually comes to, you know, settling down and it's, it's, it's very difficult because you get so used to kind of um, living in a certain way. And, uh, and I don't mean like being caught in the traps of, you know, uh, having to, check social media every few minutes that i mean obviously that's a part of it but you when you write a song you get gratification and you get um, acknowledgement from people all over the world and it's incredible and um you know sometimes i think people like myself find that to be crucial in their daily life and almost more important than just you know having one person say yeah that you did really good that's a good song so i would like to sort of change my 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 thought process to you know what if you just have one person that tells you how great that is that's enough but unfortunately i'm not there yet i mean hopefully one day well also your purpose becomes more appreciated because when your fans are telling you how amazing you are that's one thing but if you were going to start dating and the, you know the girl says to you what do you do and you go i'm a singer i was in a boy band and they go whoa what boy band a1 <laughs> and it's either never heard of them or 
Oh, yeah. well, okay. So you are almost a has-been boy band member, yet you're still clinging <laughs> on to that last bit of fame. There's that yeah, awkward line of, yeah. okay, so you're never really going to appreciate me for the way I want to portray myself because you've already got your preconceptions. You could look me up on Wikipedia and find out about my life and therefore yeah. you're going to have your own preconceptions, whereas your fans are the ones who have grown with you, been there through the hard times and the good times, and those are the ones who are always going to make you smile again. Oh, you're you're brilliant. I like you. You got you got me completely sussed out. I love it. Um, you're absolutely right. And um, yeah, <laughs> thanks for the plug of the song. <laughs> very very nice. Thanks, Johnny. Always smooth, mate. Right, I'm going to leave it there. Mark Reed, you've been amazing. I want to call this episode imposter syndrome. I think imposter mm-hmm. syndrome is a very interesting idea. I think that we all face it in life. We face it in school when we're sitting in a classroom. We're in a classroom, it might be maths, it might be English, but the surrounding around you makes you think, should I be here? Yes, I know I'm here to do maths or English, but the social setting of that classroom, where I'm sitting on the table, when I'm on the school bus and I'm thinking, am I in the cool backseat crew, even though it takes you the longest to get off the bus, or am I at the front of the bus? We're judged in every moment of our lives if we let it happen to ourselves. Because then we go off to industry and we get the jobs that mean something to us. And it's where we can grow and people start respecting you because they see how well you're doing in life. Mark is a great example. A1 was a brilliant boy band at the time, but it just never quite got there now in the music rounds. Although if you listen to Popmaster on Radio 2, you might get the A1 question once in a while. But he brings up so many important points. But I think the most important point actually resonates with his song, Smile Again. Because that's all we need to do is to be able to smile again. Now, there's one way to make me smile again, and that's leaving a review on my podcast. So go on Secure the Insecure on iTunes. Please do leave a comment and give it a five-star rating. It's really important that you help me on this journey. You're listening to these episodes. We're 46 episodes in. I'm still only getting about eight comments. I need more from you. So please do go onto iTunes now. Leave a comment. Just tell me what episode you enjoyed. Anything. It's just really important that we can make this podcast as big as possible. I've been Johnny Seifert. Thank you so much for listening to Security and Secure. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 